Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. morning and I hope and pray that you'll bring a Bible. I, I know I use my computer. It has lots of Bibles on here, but when I'm walking around in the room, I, I love to walk around with my Bible open without any notes. And technically, I could take my message this morning without any notes and really say something to you from God's Word, what He's saying to the church at Thessalonica and to you and me. But I do like my notes just in case an alarm goes off and distracts me, so I love to have my notes in front of me. The Model Church, that's what we have entitled this series, a church that we can look at, a church that's contagious. Someone said it's a church to imitate, and if you can imitate it, then you can celebrate the church at Thessalonica. In a model church, there has to be influential people. We're going to look at that this week. So the title of this morning's message is An Influential People. I think John Maxwell, the guru on leadership, said that leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Everybody has influence. My grandkids have influence. My dog has influence. I'm trying to eat the last piece of that good steak, pork chop, I got that last little piece and the dog's wagging its tail, and I'm trying to decide whether or not to eat the last piece or give it to my dog. You've been there before, right? Not your cat. Forget a cat. No way. My cat's getting the last bite. My dog, yes. Sometimes I'll throw that last little piece to my dog. So even a dog has influence. But no doubt you've heard some preachers say that if you ever find the perfect church, Please don't join it. Why? It won't be perfect anymore. Since local churches are made up of human beings, saved by God's grace, no church is perfect, but Thessalonians gets pretty close to being a perfect church. And so Paul gave thanks for this church and the way it responded to his ministry. Now, the church that makes an impact consists of transformed people by the gospel. And so thus the title of this morning's message, An Influential People Make Up a Model Church. Ask yourself this question this morning. Am I, are you, an influential person for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we an influential church for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? I pray that you'll be able to answer that question when you walk out of this place this morning. Now, just before I read the first four verses of 1 Thessalonians 4, I think it's in order for me to give you just a little bit of background. You have to put yourself in those people's shoes that are receiving this letter from God through the Apostle Paul about their conduct. And so I want you to see, I think there's a map we're supposed to show online. 
And uh, remember, we're going from east to the west. This is Paul's second missionary journey. Paul had already been around to Asia and to Turkey, and he's going to go into Greece and Rome, spreading the gospel, starting from Jerusalem. Remember, the Bible tells us to, to, to share the gospel, beginning in Jerusalem, in Judea, and then into the uttermost parts of the world. And so Paul was being obedient to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's getting ready to go on his second missionary journey, and he comes with some good news. You see, on his first missionary journey, people were trying to understand something. Did they have to become Jewish in order to become a believer in Jesus Christ? Secondly, even more important, did they have to be circumcised in order to be saved? Circumcised, then salvation. Some people believe salvation and absolutely baptism in order to be saved. But the scripture doesn't teach that. So they went to Jerusalem and to the Jerusalem council. They concluded that anybody being born again all over the world would not have to be circumcised. And all God's people said, hallelujah, amen. No circumcision is required. And a few other points they gave him as they traveled. So on their second, second missionary journey, they're going to go to those churches they had established on his first missionary journey, bearing that good news. Now, anytime we try to do something good, the enemy is going to try to get in the way. Just remember that. So Paul's getting ready to start his second missionary journey to revisit those churches he had established with Barnabas. And one of his missionary partners wants to go with him. His name, John Mark. John Mark, on the first missionary journey, decided to abandon both Barnabas and Paul. Paul isn't about to take someone who quits in the football game, right in the middle of the game. Well, I'm back to this, I'm sorry. That conjured up some things in the, that happened in the NFL Someone walked out in the middle of the game. You don't walk out in the middle of the game, in the middle of your journey. And Paul was not about to take him with him. See, he's a spiritual man. John Mark's a spiritual man. He wrote the book of Mark. Barnabas is a spiritual man. And they clash. Sometimes problems take place. How are you going to handle it? Paul said he's not coming. Barnabas said he is. They clashed. Finally, they decided, decided to part company. One went one way, one went the other. Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul decided to take Silas and then later joined up with Timothy that you hear so much about. The first Timothy and second Timothy, whom Paul addressed. That's kind of a little bit of the background. So he's already facing problems on his first missionary journey, or second missionary journey. Secondly, he starts making his way through Asia, Turkey. If you're going from your right to the left, He's making his way to Greece. He gets over to Philippi. He meets that nice lady, the lady in purple, Lydia. She's converted. Then he bumps into this demonic woman who does fortune telling and casts the spirit out of her. And then all the people that made money off her were furious in Philippi. So they had Paul and Silas beaten. What would you do now? You're on your second missionary journey to revisit those churches. You might be like John Markin, ready to quit. They threw Paul and Silas in jail. While they're in jail, they don't mope. They don't cry. They don't weep. They don't, How come I'm here, God? 
They praise God. They worship him just like we did this morning, only with a lot more enthusiasm because they considered it an honor to be persecuted for Christ's sake. The jailer gets saved. All his household gets saved. They leave there, and then they go to Thessalonica. And that's kind of where we pick up our story this morning in Thessalonica. You see, they had been persecuted even in Thessalonica. He was there only three and a half weeks, and too many good people were being converted. So the Jewish people stirred up a mob, and they, they came after Paul and Silas, and the believers got them out of town, and they went to Athens, and then eventually Paul ended up in Corinth. And that's where he writes this letter after he sends Timothy back to them wondering, do they still exist? Is there still a church? Are there still some home churches? Or did the persecution get to them? And they abandoned the faith. That's what he wanted to know. Timothy came back with a great report. And now Paul addresses this church. And here's where we pick up in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the church is for God's people. We sing to God. Then he said, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. That's what we're doing in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We are praying for you, praying for this church. And as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your, this is the report that came back. We think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God's loves you, and has chosen you to be his own people. Well, when I think of this church, Paul is so excited about the report that he has gotten. And he compliments them on three major things. This is an influential people. The marks of an influential church has at least these components in it. A faith that produces works. Let's go back to verse 3 again. He said, as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work. Now, I, I, when I began to study that, I, I'm thinking, a lot of times God's people may not understand. I didn't understand when I got saved. God commanded Adam and Eve in the garden to work. Now, what is God talking about when he's talking about, or Paul is talking about, their work? Is he talking about someone going to an automobile factory and working, a carpenter working? Is that the kind of work he's complimenting them for? Or perhaps you are a gardener and you planted a garden. Is, he, is that what he's complimenting them for? Not at all. He's complimenting them for something else. So let me help you. The Bible tells us in Ephesians Chapter 2, for by grace are you saved, through faith, not of yourself, not of works, lest anyone boast. So our entrance into the kingdom of God certainly is not by works. That way no one can stand before God. And I can imagine a long line being up there in heaven and someone, Peter, going by and 
saying, how did you get to heaven? Well, I gave a lot of money to the church. How did you get to heaven? Well, I was baptized. How did you get to heaven? I never missed church in all the years after I got saved. The Bible eliminates those, um, those, those eagles. But there is a work that God wants us to do. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, we forget about verse 10. What does verse 10 tell us? I want you to put your name there. For we, for I, Ron, for you, Sue, Mike, Bob. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Here it is. To do good works. And so I want to help explain that a little bit. I want to camp out here just for a moment. What kind of works is he talking about? God has created you in Christ Jesus to do good works. Yes, every one of you, even if you're a teenager, even if you're 12 years old, even if you're 85 years old, God has a work for you to do. He even told you before the foundations of the world, I have a work for every single believer in Jesus Christ for you to do. What is that work that he wants you to do specifically? What are those works that he wants you to do? What are those works that he wants us to do? Well, to help you with your thinking about that, let's go to John chapter 4. Let's look at the life of Jesus so we can understand the kind of work he's talking about. Sometimes this work doesn't get done, and that's why Jesus says, pray for the labors, for the harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. So here's the work that Jesus is talking about. In John 4, he said, my food, my work, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Well, he's not talking about creation because God finished it and he rested. He continues. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So please, don't say this to yourself. One day, God is going to do a work through me. That one day may never come. Are you doing that work now? It is a privilege to serve God now. Continue to examine this work by looking at the life of Jesus. In John 5, 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, we'll find out it was work, the Jews persecuted him. He said, what works? And it was healing on the Sabbath. Well, let's look at that in John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Think of people that you know that are ill, that are sick. But this happened... So that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. One more passage that will shed a little bit more light on the work that Paul was complimenting the Thessalonians about. 
the work that God gave you and me to do, the work that God gave the church to do. John 14, 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to the Father. So now you can see he differentiates between the work that you and me do for a living and the kind of work he wants to do through the living that you make. It does involve healing, but it involves spreading the good news of Jesus Christ through your careers, through your marriage, through your family, and yes, through the church. But if we're going to see revival, it's going to happen because you take your work and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work through your work. That's how the gospel will advance. Not because a church is doing the work. You dismiss and you do the work of God. So now we have a little bit of a a better grasp on what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. Wow, I was only there three and a half weeks. I thought the church would have dismantled by now. And I'm hearing about the works that you're doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, he tells them, I hear about your labor of love. Let's look back at verse 3 again. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work and your loving deeds, your labor in love. So they aren't just working for God. Because they love God, they labor in love, not grudgingly. I have never been a person since I've been in the ministry, since 1986, that I ever have to beg people, the children of God, to give money to the Lord Jesus Christ or to share their faith. Why would I have to beg a believer to share their faith in Jesus Christ when they say they're in love with him? I just don't don't want to do that. Or to work in the church or to do God's work. It is a pleasure to go into the workplace and share your faith. I remember getting saved. On Monday, after I got saved on a Monday, the following Monday, I received my first job in Arkansas. I went to work. I I, I built frame doors. And so the guy next to me probably was about uh, 60. He's getting ready to retire, and I'm probably in my 30s. And I'm looking at him, and he's building a couple doors. So I said, I'm going to match him and do one or two more so then I can take a break and I can tell everybody about Jesus. I thought that was my job. It was a pleasure to do my work and to tell other people about Jesus. But no one told me I wasn't supposed to do that. Everywhere I flooded that place with Jesus Christ. You need him. You need to repent of your sins and believe in him. It was a joy. No one had to go... Say something about God. When I take a break, I tell them about God. When I got to work, I tell them about God. When we're leaving work, people scrambled from me. I wanted to tell them about God. It was because God is in you and he's in me. He is the one that causes you and me to say that and do that. You can't take any credit, but that's what happened. It was a natural byproduct of being in love with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
Some Pentecostals thought I was full of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? They were right. Because without the Holy Spirit, you cannot be born again. And I did it in love until I got in some old cranky churches. Then they kind of make you grudgingly want to do those things. So I prayed this morning that you will find out what it is that God wants you to do on your job, in your home. That's, that's your podium. That's where God wants to work through you to bring attention to him. How are you doing? Do you have influence? Are you a people of influence? Are we a people of influence for the Lord Jesus Christ? Something else he complimented them for was this hope they had. Notice in verse 3 again. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was their hope in? Their hope in the midst of the persecution that they were walking through Their hope was in the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's mentioned in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4 and 5, and then in 2 Thessalonians. They were grabbing a hold of it. They, they were enduring this persecution. They had hope. Not the kind of hope that the worldly people have. Let me explain the kind of hope they have spelled out in Romans chapter 8. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So he complimented this church, these house churches. No ban, no smoke, no pun intended toward all our great musicians and talented people. They had no building. No technology, no microphones. All they had was what? Persecution. That's all they had. Persecution. And in the midst of the persecution, the church arose. Paul couldn't believe it. He thought, sure, they would have folded by now. I pray that in the midst of the persecution that we're going through right now, it's separating the real men from the boys. You know what I mean by that? The real churches from the imposter churches. And we are going to be persecuted. And we have. I remember when we opened the church, we were persecuted again. How in the world can you open when there's something deathly to fear out there? My God, get in your house, put a rag over your head and hide in the corner. That's what people wanted us to do. That's what those in power wanted us to do. That's what the devil wanted us to do. Oh, yes, you should fear the Lord. And yes, there are certain things we should have a healthy fear of. But it shouldn't incapacitate us. It shouldn't keep us from assembling. And many of you were out in the middle out there in the parking lot, and you knew we were open. You, you, some of you were doing a dance. Some of you were waving hands. Some of you were singing hallelujah because the church had opened 
We took a chance. We took a chance, and we opened. And this church has been tremendously blessed. Even with loved ones and other people thinking I was crazy for opening this church in the midst of the pandemic. Now, I could only do that because there were influential people in this church. So don't pat me on the back. It's because of you. I knew who I served, and you knew who I was, and I knew who you were. In fact, next week, we're going to talk about that just a little bit. Every model church has influential people and has influential pastors or leaders. And it's because of you and talking to you and you encouraging me and me encouraging you and us working hand in hand, we opened up the church in the midst of this so-called pandemic. Thank you for believing in me, and I also believe in you. It takes two to tangle. Well, the model church has an influential people. So once again, I ask you the question, on your job, are you influential for the Lord Jesus Christ? In your marriage, are you influential for Jesus Christ? In your dating, are you influential for Jesus Christ? In your school, are you influential for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this church, Victory Life Church, have a good reputation or a poor reputation for the glory of God? You can answer that question. In influential people, we've just looked at the marks of an influential people. Just for a few minutes, let's look at the making of an influential church. The making of an influential church. Let's look at verse 4. Now, we know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. Oh, I got to stop there. This is some meat. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to bring peace. Okay? Chose. Oh, there's that word. Did God choose you to be saved? Is there limited atonement or is there general atonement? That means, did God choose some people to be saved? As you read through the scripture. Or whoever calls on the Lord can be saved. Let me quote something that all of us are familiar with. This marvelous doctrine of election, a doctrine that has confused some and confounded others. I found this quote. A seminary professor once said, try to explain what I'm talking to you about. Try to explain election, and you may lose your mind. But try to explain it away, you may lose your own soul. The salvation begins with God and not with man, all Christians will agree. The mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility will never be solved in this life. So let's unite. In fact, the more I've been studying this, the more I realize the impact that those that believe in election, let's call them the Presbyterians. I don't know if you know it, but there were only 13 million people in the, wait, excuse me, 3 million people in the 13 colonies in the United States. 900 of them were Presbyterians. No, excuse me, 900, 
6,000 were Presbyterians. 400 were Reformed. And there was other branches of, of that belief. Also through my studies recently, I have found that they greatly impacted the Declaration of Independence. In fact, some people believe that Thomas Edison actually plagiarized what John Calvin actually governed the 13 colonies by. It was the only organizational government the Presbyterians had in the 13 colonies. There was no other type of government. Do a little bit of research into that. Why am I saying that? I can fellowship with my brothers that believe. I believe you are chosen by God. Some are chosen and some are not. But I also fellowship with the people that believe. This is some meat for the believers. Some of you may go over their heads. It's all right. I didn't understand it. My first, second, third, fifth, tenth, twentieth, thirtieth, fortieth year into the ministry. I'm still trying to get my hands around it. But I do know that God wants us to live at peace with one another. Don't let this divide us because most of us still believe that you still need to evangelize in order for people to be saved. I I do want to make this one small point, if I'm permitted. Thank you. (laughs) What you believe about what I just said, for the most part, as a rule, will determine how you live and your church lives. Example. If you happen to believe that God chose people to be saved will impact how you live and how the church lives that you attend. If you happen to believe whosoever will can be saved, it will impact how you live and how the church handles her responsibility of the Great Commission. Proof? Proof? I got permission to give proof? The Presbyterian Church that I just bragged on. In America, as, as of 2020, that believes you, you are chosen by God. Some are chosen, some are not. Boast of 8,600 churches in America. With a population of 1,200,000 people. They believe in choice. If someone believes... That everyone has a chance to be saved. That means in general, the general atonement. Let me give you one denomination. I just gave you one, Presbyterian. Southern Baptists. Southern Baptists have 47,000 churches in America with over 15 million people just in America. Does it tell you something? Again, we don't want to fight or squabble over the definition. But what you believe will impact, as a rule, as a rule, how much you share the gospel, where you share the gospel, what your church embraces about evangelism and missionary work. Or did God choose you in Christ Jesus to receive all these benefits? There's so many ways to look at this particular passage, I am chosen. I cannot solve the argument. I actually believe in both. But if you put them both on a scale like this, I'm going to lean toward 
sharing the gospel with everyone that will listen. And when I get to heaven, I'll discover maybe what God wants us to know. But it looks like the greatest theologians on this earth cannot solve this problem. And I tried to solve it in my first 20, 30 years in the ministry. And I argued till my face turned red. And probably didn't convince anybody and they didn't convince me. So let's learn to get along and enjoy Jesus Christ together. Amen. Okay, that was a little side rabbit. Some good meat for those that... Uh, we, we, we need to get together. We need to be united, as we sang a while ago. We don't need anything else dividing us. We already got enough of the people in the world trying to divide us. We already got the enemy trying to divide us. We don't need any doctrines that we can get along with uh, to divide us anymore, okay? This church, the makings of a good church, though, is that they are chosen by God. And Paul said, I know you were chosen because sometimes the Holy Spirit tells you not to go some places. You'll read that in the book of Acts. By the way, you read about Paul's second, second missionary journey in Acts chapter 17. And he was prohibited by the Holy Spirit from going certain places. But he was given permission in a dream to go to Macedonia in northern Greece and to start sharing the gospel. And that's how he ended up in Thessalonica. But he, but he knew they were chosen by God by the power that proceeded from him sharing the gospel. Notice in verse 5 again. For when we brought you the good news, these are all heathens, no one's saved, they're all worshiping idols. Now he brings the good news. It was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you assurance that what we said was true. So I would say the making of an influential church is that it has power. Now don't get this power out of line. When I'm sharing the gospel with someone or you're sharing the gospel with something, you can sense the Holy Spirit at work by how they react. If they're opening up their heart and minds and saying, yes, I, I want more. I want to receive this. Yes, I want to repent. Yes, I want to believe. This has happened many, many times to me. The Holy Spirit is at work. When I'm trying to share the gospel with someone and they don't listen at all, I believe the Holy Spirit is not at work. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in this church, Victory Life Church. So that means there's an influential people living for Jesus Christ on their jobs, in their marriages, despite the problems that we all have, and raising their kids, and they come and gather at this place, and we believe the power of the Holy Spirit is at work here just like it was in Thessalonica. Because you do something else. You imitate the leaders, and you're a people that are glad to receive the gospel. Let's look at imitating the leaders in, in chapter 5. Excuse me, chapter 1, verse 5 again. In verse 6. Let's look at it again. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you, they're concerned about you. I'm concerned about you. Jacob and I are concerned, concerned about you. Our, our Bible study leaders in the homes are concerned about you. They care about you, the people that they serve. 
They genuinely care about you. So you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit, another indication that God has chosen them and that he's at work in this church or in Thessalonica. In spite of the severe suffering it brought you, in this way you imitated both us and the Lord. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week as we look into chapter 2. But all small group leaders, all pastors feel the responsibility to be an example to their family and then, of course, to the church. What is it that we want you to imitate us on? Well, our conduct, our love for God, and the proclamation of the word of God. That's what they were imitating. They were imitating the example that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had set while they were there for only three and a half weeks. So a good church, the, the, the making of an influential church, is that you have rock-solid leaders and pastors. I don't think we love the Lord more than you. We just know we need to set an example for you. Okay? And they, they received the gospel with joy. Notice, let's go over that verse again. Verse 6, so you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. One of the indicators that you have a church that is full of the Holy Spirit is that the preacher has the freedom to preach all the good news of Jesus Christ, which is avoiding judgment, which includes avoiding hell, which we'll get to when we read chapter 4 of uh, living life a certain way and avoiding certain things. You allow us that freedom. Some churches do not allow their pastors to have that freedom. Again, I reminded when I was a youth pastor over in Boca Raton, and I began to evangelize in the youth group, and I began to share Christ, and I began to tell them, put away your dirty movies. And I, they, they had dirty Christmas. Everything around them seemed dirty, and God sent me there to help clean up everything. And so I was kicking people out for a short period of time, and I was evangelizing in love. Everything was done in love because I wanted to win those young men Young people back to Christ. And the adults got furious with me. And the pastor of the church pulled me aside and said, Now, Pastor Ron, you're moving too fast. Slow down a little bit. Second coming may come any time. Look at the Thessalonians. We got, we, got, we got a job to do. We got some work to Slow down. Take your time. Well, I didn't take my time enough. He came up a few weeks later and said, Here, here's 8000 dollars Would you leave? Well, I think I will. <laughs> I was struggling. I, I've told this story before, but for you newbies here, I was struggling. My wife and I were struggling to tithe. Seriously, struggling to tithe. I've tithed since the day I've been saved. I was taught that. It's all God's, right? And I've given back to God since 1976, and I wasn't even a pastor. And uh, we, we, I wasn't making, I was senior pastor. I was demoted to, to a youth pastor. With a master's degree, I couldn't find a job anywhere, and I wasn't about to move my family to some state and some God-forsaken church that didn't welcome the good news of Jesus Christ. 
I wasn't about to introduce my family to those weirdos. So I didn't want to move. You know what kind of churches I'm talking about. And I'm not moving my family there because I was not about to turn my kids off to Jesus Christ. And I wasn't about to let any hoodlums turn my people off and my kids off to Christ. Now I'm moving all the way across the country for someone to do that when I can stay right here in Fort Lauderdale and that can happen. So I took the job. But we didn't make enough money to pay bills. Jacob talked about that a little bit earlier. Honestly and sincerely, no lie, I'm not joking, we both desired the tithe. We couldn't. We had no money barely to pay the bills. You been there? Anybody been there? I got fired and I started tithing and have tithed ever since again. Isn't it amazing what the devil meant for bad, God meant for the good. We were so full of joy to be able to give again. That's the truth. Wow. God works in mysterious ways. Last thing I want to say as we end here is this. Remember, this is a people of influence that makes up a model church. And there are some markings of an influential church or the making of an influential church. Chosen by God, they're full of the power of the Holy Spirit, working in lives, changing lives, transforming people, causing people to repent, causing marriages to work out in a better way, even seeing miracles, which I haven't seen a lot of, but we're praying in these 21 days of prayer and fasting. God, would you delight in doing that? I don't know what God's perfect will is in that, but he did say, greater works will you do when I leave. And so I'm praying, God, would you like to do those works here through Victory Life Church? We are praying for that. But this church, Thessalonica, in a short period of time, Paul received a report back from Timothy that they had broad influence. Let's finish the chapter, beginning in verse 7. He said to them, as a result, you, you have become an example to all believers in Greece. They just started it in Thessalonica. Both Macedonia, that's northern part, and Achaia, kind of southwest. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, a model church, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. How are you doing on that question? Are you influencing people for God? Is this church influencing people for God? It says, we don't need to tell them about you or it, the gospel. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. There it is, the second coming, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming kingdom. You see, they were located, if you're thinking about Rome, and then you go east on that map and go all the way back across Turkey and then, of course, down south to Jerusalem. Um, That was a travel route, and Thessalonica was placed strategically right there, and God asked him to go right there because people passed all over on the, they call it the Ignatian Way. 
and it was a great commerce place. It was the uh, capital of Macedonia, and, and Rome knew that. God, of course, knew that, and he wanted to establish a church there. And so what was happening is, is, is people passed through there. They heard the good news. They, they left that place in the travels, whether it went east or west, and they were talking about everything that Thessalonians had told them about. Imagine if you kept shut. Imagine if you said, it's too quick to tell these people about God. Imagine if you said, well, I got to get to know these people first before I share the gospel. Imagine if you take that stance. I agree there are some times we need to take that stance. I, I agree. I'm praying desperately for God to do that in my neighborhood. I'm, I, I know I can't do it. I'm praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in my neighborhood. I, I'm, I'm looking, I'm waiting, I'm praying, and I believe it's going to happen, and I can't wait to come back to you and tell you when it happens. On the pickleball court, where I hear more about God and Jesus than I do in the church. You get what I mean? I, I want to be used there for the glory of God so that people will leave that place. They already know I'm a preacher, and they already probably talk about the calls I called that were in, that were out, but the out were in. I, I know my name's already getting out there. But I do desire, every time I go out to the pickleball court, honestly, everywhere I go is a place, is a podium for me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm looking, are you looking? Are you looking to be an influence for the glory of God? Are you doing that? So that's the question I wanted to ask you. Again, are you wanting, again, I, haven't, I want to admit to you, I haven't seen a lot of results on the pickleball courts. So you need to pray for my competitiveness that I'll smile. When I lose a point, instead of looking at my partner, why'd you, why'd you do that? I'm always thinking that guy shouldn't have missed it, and he's probably looking over me. Why did you miss it? But I want to be an influence for God. I, I know I'm not perfect. I know you're not perfect, but God will use the imperfection, and he will bring honor and glory to his name, just like he did with John Mark, just like he did with Timothy, just like he did with Paul, just like he did with Barnabas, just like he has done with you. Do you desire that? The thing that I really like about these guys is they, they joined up together, three of these guys. I, I long to see guys that get together like they did in college and high school, instead of riding bikes together and, and then throwing snowballs through someone's window together, blowing up mailboxes on New Year's together. How about getting together and making an impact for Jesus Christ? There is one family here that I know I think I see the, or the Casanova somewhere. I know he goes out every Sunday, out with some other guys into Hollywood area, and they share the gospel and the good news, and they pray, and they, and they try to send help. I see them do that. They tell me about it. That's, that's just one, one or two, three people, but they, but they do it together. I don't want to do this alone. I want some people to do it with me. I want some people to do it with Jacob. I want to do it with you so that we can make an impact here. I don't know how we're going to impact this area here, but we just need to pray that the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon this area because the Bible says this is a very wealthy area, and the Bible does tell us that very few rich people will ever enter the kingdom of God. So without the Holy Spirit, you and me are helpless. So let's pray that the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon this area like it did in Thessalonica. So as a church, ask the question, are we impacting this community for the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I believe it's a little, but I pray for his glory in a greater way in the coming weeks and months. 
And of course, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no influence for the kingdom of God. Remember, as we end, if you want to go to heaven, repent of your sins, and that's exactly what the Thessalonians did. Remember, they were known throughout Greece. They turn from idols, worshiping all these pagan deities. It, it was announced with the bullhorn everywhere these people went when they went through Thessalonica and traveled to Rome and to Italy and went back to Asia and down to Jerusalem. Everyone knew that Thessalonians had repented of their sin. You cannot get saved unless you repent of your sins. When Jesus went to the woman at the well, she repented of her sins. When he contacted Zacchaeus, he repented of being a thief. When Jesus contacts you in your sin, he wants you to repent and he will give you the gift of eternal life. All who call upon the Lord shall be saved. Will you stand with me at this time? Father, please make this church an influential church in the plantation area and throughout the state of Florida and perhaps throughout the world as we give to missionaries all over the place. May people brag about our generosity and the our impact that we have made locally and abroad and then I pray for each individual father that they will reconsider their influence for the gospel on their job in their homes in their neighborhoods this morning they'll re-examine it keep it alive father please for your honor and glory and may many people come back and report that God is moving because we took seriously our responsibility to do the work that you gave every individual to do and you gave this church to do. Do a work through us, Father, please. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.